I never grew up with educators that look like myself. So I feel like, honestly, like we are that new wave that make being wise, being smart, being educated cool, right? Wisdom is, is a powerful tool, but oftentimes we might neglect it because of who it's coming from, you feel me? But if we can top it up with a young buck and really implant a seed, man, like that's, it's more than just education at that point, you know what I'm saying? What's going on, beautiful people? This is the Let's Grow Together podcast where diverse individuals and communities come to serve, connect, and grow in areas that they're most passionate about. Brother Marcus, check in with the beautiful people. Let them know how you're doing. What's up? What's up, family? Good to be back with y'all. Again, have another phenomenal session, man. We'll talk about some great things. Got a great guest. And man, I just want to pass on some of this positive energy, like always, to y'all family. Um, but as, as we were kind of recapping prior to, man, Christmas coming up and the Christmas spirit is always, man, we're doing a little bit of a give back with a local uh, brand in the community. Shout out to L3 brand. Definitely excited to bless some youth, man, and really just continue to encourage people and keep people lifted during this unique time. Um, a theme, as always, is especially with year and coming into play. What are you doing to elevate yourself? going forward that much more for the next year right and this is always something i love having conversations with because a lot of people tend to have the same new year's resolution that they had last year that they fell short of right <laughs> but my question to you all is how are you continuing to elevate and how are you continuing to deviate yourself from the rest of the crowd so definitely something i'm always pushing but what's up with you james how you feeling today man family i'm blessed so first i want to comment man there's no such thing as new year's resolutions when you're doing the right thing all year round so just kind of keep that in mind. But man, I'm doing great, man. Blessed and highly favored as always. But um, similar to you doing a, a holiday give back, um, a Greater Good Foundation partnered with um, Lene Harper, uh, who is a former WNBA player um, on the south side of Chicago. We had a, a, a gift drive, gave out some gift cards, had a gratitude wall where folks were writing on their things that they're grateful for. And then just sharing the holiday spirit, man, similar to what you were just talking about. So man, I'm in great mood. I'm in a great mood, man. Um, earlier, I said today, just like every day is a great day to character build and then to have some grace. Um, another issue with the cars, man. But again, it's teaching me so much through this process, man. So all in all, man, I'm blessed. Hey, boy, them cars are a pillar in your growth. I'm telling you, you don't even know it, man. But uh, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's going to come together, man. But we also recently just formulated some partnerships. And on behalf of Roots, we formulated some partnerships with the Fayetteville Mustangs, which is a semi-pro football team locally, as well as the, the Fayetteville Stingers, which is a semi-pro basketball team. So excited to be able to put some of these local pro athletes in front of our youth and even develop another pipeline outside of college and the Army and the military, things of that nature, man. So Things are coming together. Things are coming together, man. The, the the work you do in the shadows will definitely come to the light. And if it's good or bad, so take note, man. But again, man, we got a, a phenomenal episode today. Want to introduce y'all to a, a partner of mine. He actually works with us through the school system. Uh, he is actually a teacher at Algebra Wilkins. Super powerful, potent brother, man. So, uh, Mr. Sean Bowens, if you don't mind, man, uh, come on. And I would love to introduce you to the people, man. And again. Mr. Bowen, super solid, super stellar individual, one of the most passionate people I've ever had the opportunity to work with. But Mr. Bowen, say, say what's up today. Hey, how you doing, everybody? Uh, I appreciate the uh, introduction, and I appreciate the invite to come on and, and talk with y'all today. Awesome, awesome. So uh, first of all, just to give a little, a little bit of content, man, uh, I want to start by saying uh, Mr. Bowen just coming to the picnic, 
right? He's coming to the cookout. <laughs> Super solid and OD passionate about the youth that we work with, and especially in the favor of demographic. Um, a lot of them tend to look like us. So there's one thing that I definitely was extremely fond of when it came to Mr. Bones is his passion to help uh, individuals of that nature as well, too. So, Mr. Bones, if you don't mind, man, give him just a little bit of background, especially I know you're you're Detroit boy. You love repping the city. Give him just a little bit of uh, insight to your upbringing. Well, you know, uh, th that whole thing of uh, being a D Detroit boy, it goes to the wanting to be a person who helps. It's always mistaken that I, that I intentionally try to help people of color. And that is my direct passion. But really, it's helping poor people um, is my number one thing. And coming from Detroit, which is still the most segregated area of our country, uh, you know, that, that eight mile line is a real line. You know, we have federal legislation written up for uh, fair housing and protection because of Detroit uh, in the 70s with, with all the racism that was going on with redlining districts and everything. So basically, whether you were poor, if you were black and poor, you lived below eight mile. If you were white and poor, you lived above eight mile. I grew up on the white and poor part. Um, but whether you're black and white, poor is poor. You know, that, that's what the, the big thing that Martin Luther King always preached, like you know, after he got done with civil rights aspects of things, he started focusing on, on you know, poor is poor. It, it really is rich versus poor, regardless of the color. And the more that we're, we're focused on the color aspects, we're making the man's job easier for him. Uh, and that's what, you know, I'm really against is the man and helping anybody that's downtrodden is important to me. But coming from Detroit, like I said, uh, in the 70s and 80s, when I was growing up there, it, it was really stark uh, as far as the division. Like it was 99% uh, white above eight mile, 99% black below eight mile. And, and I was fortunate to have a, a mother who was a hippie and was like, you were not gonna be afraid of black folks. And like, we went down into the D like the down to Belle Isle and all these other great places that are like uh, a key to the black culture of Detroit. Uh, I was raised in it, so it's always been an affectionate part of Detroit for me. Um, but it's still poor. And the whole point is to get out of it, you know, just not be poor. And for me, I did that uh, primarily through the Marine Corps. Uh, that, that was my way of, of getting out and seeing a different environment, seeing, you know, integration. Really, you know, the military, one of the big things we always say is there's no black and white, it's just different shades of green. You know, that's the way... We, we were raised in the, in the, the Marine Corps that I was in anyway, back in the day. Um, you know, all of my sergeants were African-Americans for the most part, you know, so I, for me, it's, it's a natural, everybody's just a Marine. We don't think about it being anything other than that until we get outside of our unit. And that's the whole thing of getting outside of your unit. You see how, you know, you build empathy because while as, I, as a white American, I'm not going to face certain things that an African-American, even though, you know, an African-American Marine has done everything for the country that I have is going to get dealt with differently on the streets. It's just a fact, you know, that we have cases of it all the time. There's that uh, Lieutenant down in, in Virginia that just got messed with uh, like a year and a half ago where uh, the, the cops roughed him up. Like it, it was still 1960s just because he was a, a colored officer who got lippy with some good old boys. Uh, it, it's still out there. This is a, a, you know, an officer in the United States army. Uh, that's the world that I'm fighting against. That's the world that, like, if you're a Marine, you're a Marine. If you're a man, you're a man. Uh, and that's that. That's where my passion comes from. That's where my revolution comes in is to stop that bullshit. 
Uh, excuse my French. Um, <laughs> you're, you're fine, bro. You're fine. We, we, we hear the passion. And again, that's uh, why we have you. That's why we have you on. Go ahead. But uh, for, for me, uh, long story shortly, I, I did after my time in the Marine Corps, I, I went and chased an education like but I I've had lots of adventures. I did some time in Alaska trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life after the Marine Corps and realized I didn't want to work that hard. So I went to college, graduated from Michigan State, then tried to figure out what to do with a history degree. And that's when I went and actually taught in Korea. Uh, I taught in Seoul, South Korea for 13 months. And I was actually there when 9-11 happened. So it was a really extra unique situation in that being uh, like the only American, you know, in a city or in a, in a neighborhood, you become that representative for an entire country. And especially at that time, like it was interesting. Some, it was really a 50, 50 mix of the Korean people that I would, as I was walking down the street, half of them would come up and say, I'm so sorry for what happened to your country. And the other half would swing by and say, your country finally got what it deserves for messing with everybody else. And it was literally a 50, 50. And you had to listen to both of them because to a Korean person, the United States has done nothing but meddle with their country for the last 75 years. Um, so it's really a unique experience to be out there and to see your country's actions on an international and global scale and to be put in a position of having to almost answer for those things in as a teacher, because I was there as a teacher. Um, so with that level of social respect comes the social responsibility, explain your country's actions to us. and and you better do a good job because I was trying to make money. You know, I was teaching them. You, know, you want the, your clients to want to be around you. Um, in any case, that, that was a great experience. Um, I came back, tried my hand at corporate America after after that and realized that that was not the spot for me. I was a technical recruiter for a dot-com appraisal management firm uh, during the refi boom of the early 2000s and mid-2000s. And I saw all the predatory lending and all the the real preying on poor people that was going on on a global industrial scale and they all knew it was going to crash the economy and nobody cared because they were kept making all their money off of uh just processing the loans for people that they knew were going to be out of their house and lose everything and i couldn't deal with that i did that for a short time and realized that my soul was more important to me than making money and preying on what I considered my people it didn't matter black white or whatever like the entire banking industry got together to try to just make it worse even harder in this capitalist system for for poor people and they were all cool with it they didn't care about breaking it because they knew that they would nobody would go to jail and nobody did go to jail over that um as a thing uh in any case uh moving along uh Teaching, I ended up teaching at the Maximum Security Juvenile Detention Facility in Detroit. And from there, I was recruited to come down to uh, open up Alger B. Wilkins High School in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is like a second chance high school, but not second chance in the way that it's the punishment school, the school you get sent to. You have to apply to come to Alger B. Wilkins. And that's the biggest thing that makes a difference is kids have to want to be there. They have to choose to be there uh, versus the standard uh, educational system where you know, kids are forced to come to school, whether they want to or not, or they get charged with truancy. Those kids don't want to be there. Uh, they're, they're bucking the system for a, a lot of different reasons. And hey, Mr. Bowen, let's, uh, Audrey Wilkins is extremely special to me. Um, I, I want to save a little bit of that. Cause I'm going to definitely ask you to dive into that a little bit, but James, you, you had, you had a point that, that you want to kind of emphasize. 
Yeah, man, appreciate it. Um, nah, man, it just hearing your your journey, Mr. Bowen, it's, it's super dope. Um, but it's a constant theme that I'm kind of hearing kind of replay itself in your life, and that's this division that um I don't know who's causing it, whether it's the man, you know, the the world, what have you, but you talked about a separation between eight mile and you know, lower and above for the black and white community. You also talked yeah. about you were over in you know Korea with 9-11 there was half of the folk that were you know sorry that it happened to us and then you know some of us some of them that said we deserved every bit of that um what do you think why do you think that is like why do you think that so many people are so divided in the things that they're after uh it, it really it comes down to resources and the illusion of scarcity um, it, it's perpetrated that, that we have to compete against each other. You, you know, the United States, we pay farmers to leave their soil untold. We pay farmers to not grow food because we don't want to upset markets, AKA make the markets be what they should be. I mean, that, that's what, like, like if, if you can produce that much corn and it feeds the world and whatever, then we should be doing those kind of things, but we don't like, we're, we're not, it's an intentional situation. It, it's causing in any case, to answer your question, it's the, the fear of scarcity. We're, we're afraid that, that, that we, we're, we're not going to be able to take care of our loved ones or the things that we think that we need. And that, that's the big thing. The power of media over the last 20, 30 years, especially with the advent of the Internet and all the kind of different advertising, targeted advertising, especially, especially you know, they can, they can hone in on your exact weakness and just drill it until you are a, an obeying consumer. Uh, it's kind of crazy in a very George Orwellian 1984. It's yeah. You got to be careful out there. <laughs> it's nuts. No, you're a hundred percent right. And that's something we talk about often whenever we kick it, man. And you really open up my eyes to a lot of philosophies. I was actually telling James earlier, man, you taught me what a conix box is, right? <laughs> like, even though that's that small scale, right? You're extremely knowledgeable, but I want to kind of back up a little bit. We talked about the, the military. We talked about the Marines. What type of foundation did the military give for you? And how do you really kind of implement that just in life today as well? Um, what kind of the biggest foundation that the Marine Corps specifically gave me was a positive family to belong to. Um, you know, I I left home at a, at a young age from for like abuse reasons and had messed up, you know, all the other troubles that comes with growing up in a poor environment you know, between substance abuse and, and other kinds of physical abuse and, and whatever. And uh, the military, at the end of the day, it was a safe place that I knew I was going to always be fed. I knew somebody always want, was going to be there to take care of me because I was there to take care of them at the same time. Um, it, it, it showed me the importance of, of service. And uh, it, it actually showed me what was really good about America in that you, you all the Marines that you're with, they're all there committing uh, to the mission, to making everything better for everybody. You know, politics aside, whether, you know, you're left, right or whatever, you, you when you're in the military, you, you've signed your life away. You, you're, you've chosen to become a second class citizen. You know, your body is no longer if you're out in town, you get a tattoo and it gets infected. You can't go to your job the next day. You can be charged with destruction of government property because you are government property you go to the beach and get a sunburn can't wear your back on monday you're charged with destruction of government property for your own sunburn that's that's what you 
but you signed on the line to give your body to your community, to your country, to that level. It takes an intense amount of trust and desire to serve if you really understand what you're doing when you sign your name on that line, which most people don't. You know, they, they don't realize the degree to which they are giving themselves to their people. Um, but the, 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 the stability and uh, the camaraderie were all, were all huge for me. Um, that, that's the biggest thing that, that the military gave me and, and discipline. Uh, not the, the discipline and it showed me enough ter other terrible things that uh, anything else I ran up against was really easy. You know, when you're when you're a 24 year old sergeant in the Marines and you're starting your freshman year in college with 18 year olds uh, who are just leaving home for the first time, it's a very different. My, my freshman year at Michigan State University was way different than the kids that were next to me. It was just different. You know, the, the things that they would stress about, like, oh, I didn't get a B on that test versus, you know, did anybody shoot at you today? No. Did, you know, did anybody try to shave your head and send you to boot camp? No. So just relax. Uh, it, so, I don't know. Oh, that, thank you for that perspective. And, and first and foremost, thank you for your service. Um, and it's just it's definitely eye opening to hear that, you know, they consider you as government property. Like I, I never even thought of that um, as just a regular civilian. It just didn't cross my mind. But you talked about being very young and leaving home because of, you know, different abuses that you suffered um, in your household. I share that same sentiment. You know, Marcus and I talk about all the time how I, I ran away at, from home at 11 years old. And it, it, even though we come from two different communities, the experience is very similar where I used to make sure that I went to school in order to get a hot meal and and be around community and people that care for me. And it sounds like that's what the military was for you. So shout out to you for finding that 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 safe space in order for you to grow and develop and then get that discipline. So that's that's extremely dope. Um, you also talked about, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to stop and say that we need to focus on those extracurriculars even more because before the Marine Corps, for me, there was choir, there was theater, there was student government. Yeah, anything I could do to stay out the house and stay positive to get me out of there, I, I was doing that. And I think that's one of the big travesties in our school systems today when they're cutting all the education or art programs, all the music programs, all the theater programs that aren't getting the funding. Man, that, that that's a positive place for a lot of kids to go and, and have a reason to stay away from mom and dad they're not going to get questioned about it you know it's 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 a safe place that a lot of us needed like for me specifically and I, it sounds like for you so i just wanted to say we need to do more to protect those extracurriculars sure. um, and i think it was a, a conscious effort of the powers that be to like take out all of the vocational skills that you would get in in, in school because i remember there was times where you had a home ec class you had a carpentry class you had a woodshop class, you had all these different things that you would be able to learn and, you know, trades that you could do with your hands. And I think that they strategically removed those things from school so that people would focus more on the academic side that may or may not impact folks' lives. Um, I would like to say that, you know, I am anti-schooling, but I am pro-education. So for me, it's one of those things where, you know, like you said, you might find something different, like the, the Marines that teaches you a lot of discipline in these life skills, but like, I'm not against you going to school to do some of those things, but school isn't what it used to be. It doesn't prepare us for life like we once thought it did. Uh, very much so. Uh, there, is there, as nefarious as I like to say the man is, on, on this one, it's actually just plain dumb. Uh, people don't realize that everything that we teach kids is legislated. Every 
thing is legislated. That means somewhere there's a, there's some committee and they decide every second grader should know this. Every third grader should know this and onwards and upwards for every subject and everything. They don't talk to teachers. They don't talk to professors. It's just a bunch of politicians who get their feelings together and decide this is what it should be. That being said, they decided every American child should get, should be prepared for college. We, should, we don't want to give all this money to have a, a robust college prep system and vocational prep system. So we're just going to just eliminate the vocational prep system because that way everybody will have no choice but to be college prep, whether they have a desire, a propensity, a talent, a skill set or anything like not every kid where I'm from in in Michigan, they legislated every kid had to have chemistry to graduate high school. They just legislated it. Didn't ask it to any of the teachers, didn't ask the mental capacity, uh, any of the brain doctors, anything, you know, can every kid, you know, actually comprehend chemistry. They didn't care. They just felt it should be that way. They voted on it and therefore it became a law and became a thing that every kid had to do. There's no rhyme or reason for it. It's not necessarily, like I said, it's not like we're going to take down the man this way. They just don't consider it because because they start looking at cost. The other part that screwed everybody on the vocational is our society has become so litigious that every time a kid cut a pinky off, it meant millions of dollars from the school district that didn't have it. I mean, yeah, there's insurance policies, but you're talking about that's happening on the regular because it wasn't just like a ring and metal shop, but it can be lots of stuff with the auto shops and the you see where it can go in a society where everybody's looking to make that easy dollar. I mean, shoot, we see people hurt themselves on purpose all the time for that kind of opportunity. Nah, this that's is that's where it comes. Now, this is definitely true. And that's one thing I always really love kind of just picking your brain on is the school system itself, but something that we all know we, we've come to a conclusion is the system is built to create employees versus, you know, bosses, owners, entrepreneurs as well, right? To keep people within that specific class. Can you speak to that as well? Well, yeah, uh, the big thing everybody, in this day and age, we always consider education to be an altruistic pursuit. And everybody forgets that the whole reason of public education had nothing to do with a good educated citizenry. Nobody cared about public education being a thing until the factories opened in the late 1800s and early 1900s. When we started needing people who could actually read a manual, when we started needing people who could get a little bit more skilled in their labor on a mechanical or mathematical level is when we started needing people to have a rudimentary education. And that being said, going back to the politicians are the ones who decide what we teach kids. Who tells the politicians what to decide? Big business. That's who's that's who's writing their checks for their uh, elections and everything else. Big business goes to those senators, goes to those representatives and say, hey, nobody can read a memo. Uh, I remember when I was a younger person, the big thing that the, the businesses were going to the business colleges saying, nobody can write an email, nobody can write a memo, nothing, nobody can write something short and concise. So then all the business schools and it trickled down to all the high schools, you got to start teaching these kids how to write memos. They have to be able to write clean, concise emails, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it changes the curriculum. Does it have anything to do with education? No, it makes them a better worker. And that all cut and they just legislated and that you see how the business tells the Republican or the not Republicans, but the businesses tell the uh, congressmen what they want to have out of their workers. And that's what becomes what kids need to learn has nothing to do with educational theory whatsoever. It's always been based on business. 
we've just lost it in our lofty pursuits of thinking that educate everybody deserves an education. If that was true, we wouldn't base how we fund education on property taxes. Uh-huh. America, what it means to be educated in America should be the same, should be the same wherever you live. It shouldn't, you know, when I was up north, you always hear like people down south are dumb. And then you get taught, well, no, it's just their accents. You know, it's just not what you're used to. No, I've been down here. I'm a teacher down here. It's a different world. And I know that uh, saying I grew up, okay, I grew up on 11 mile my whole life until I was 15. I moved out of my mom's house and I moved out to my dad's to finish out my last year and a half of high school. That was a five mile move. In that five mile move going north, away from eight mile, I was a year and a half behind everybody. And that that had me going from being a 3.5 student in the poor high school, going to the rich high school, and I was behind. I had to give up my foreign language because I couldn't keep up because they were so far advanced above me. Uh, it, it was it was disheartening. So that if that happened for me going just five miles from 11 mile to 16 mile of being a year behind in my education. What do you think it is going from 11 mile to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where in, in Louisiana, they pay their teachers with master's degrees, $25,000 a year. You know how many master's teachers they have? None. Like something like 60% of the teachers in Louisiana aren't even certified because they can't get anybody certified to work for that little money. So yeah, when you say it's not that people from Louisiana are dumb, but they're, catastrophically undereducated because of the way that we fund our system, which is by property taxes. And, and again, that just boils down to, to the systematic format. Right. But again, we can, we can spend a lot of time talking about that. One thing that I definitely want to just get your opinion on is how you saw COVID really impact from a student and just a school system standpoint. Right. I know a lot of people were impacted drastically across the board, even talking with a lot of youth we service. Uh, how, what impact did it make to you being hands-on senior? Um, well, for me personally, I almost went crazy during that time because I am a hands-on person, like not being able to see my kids, not being able to read them, uh, really made the whole time with them moot. It, it literally was a waste of time. You could not connect with a kid in that environment in any way, shape or form. Um, it, 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 it was dry. Um, on a positive side, I think it finally put to bed the, the thing that that the whole point of teachers are going to get go away. They're going to put all the kids on computers. COVID proved that that's it's not feasible. It's not doable. It, it doesn't work. Kids need a teacher, even if it's even if every every kid's on a computer in a classroom, they still need a, a caring adult who's observing their entire growth and their entire picture of, of mental health, spiritual health, their academic health. And who knows about those things? Like your parents might love you, but that doesn't know, mean they know shit about how to really address the things that you need as a growing human. You know, we only know what we know. Um, and as teachers, you know, we go to school to get educated deeply in the way the mind works and how our psychology develops and how to deal with different uh, situations and triggers and emotional situations. You know, there's a reason we get that, that whole degree. A parent might love their kid, but that doesn't mean you know how to teach them math. Doesn't mean you know how to, you know, teach them uh, any kind of cognitive resonance about anything. We saw plenty of parents do that. I mean, that's why the wine industry, you know, we, we ran out, we ran out of wine because parents were getting that wasted having to deal with their kids. <laughs> it just is what it is. It just 
it, it, it's 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 a fact. Um, <laughs> now, I want to, I want to chime in chime, chime in a little bit on that, uh, Mr. Bowman, because uh, we actually um, a Greater Good Foundation does some work with a, a remote school and okay. remote alternative school, and I agree with you one hundred percent. Where it is extremely difficult to connect with those students virtually. Like we do have some success. Like I talk to Marcus all the time. Uh, we've been working with them for eight weeks now. And from the from week one to, to week eight, we have seen some, some improvements, but it is so different than being able to be in the room and feel that energy and, and really have that, that interpersonal interaction with them. Because um, a lot of times they don't even have their camera on. So it, it's hard to even see if they're really engaged, if they're really paying attention, like what's really going on on that side of the camera. Like it's, in, it's, it's in extremely difficult to really see that. And so I do agree with you that the, the remote setting that COVID kind of started, um, it's not feasible in the education space because oftentimes you really need to be in front of that kid to show that kid that you really are con concerned and that you care for their well-being. Yeah, the, the connection, it, especially in, in uh, when dealing with at-risk kids, the connection is everything. You know, the, if you don't have the connection that is your foundation in your first three floors of the relationship, there's no education, there's, there's no learning that's going to take place on any level, whether it be academic or socio-emotional. Uh, um, they have to know that you love them. And sometimes it really takes that quiet kid who's mad or who's tough, you know, coming in and being quiet. And you just picked up on you were they were quiet today. And that, that one little thing that showed, man, Mr. Bowen knows me well enough to see that, you know, my shoulders are slumped or whatever the thing is that I was off today. And he pulled me aside and just like took that moment to look me in the eyes and, you know, get that love. And that alone can change an entire semester for a kid. It can change their perspective about school, especially at Wilkins where they, you know, where they typically had so many failures or so many negative um, consequences, not consequences, but uh, occasions and, and occurrences, you know, with just school as a negative reinforcer. And then to, to come to someplace special like Wilkins, where, you know, we've only got like 13 teachers on campus, but we've only got 140 kids. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's a great teacher to kid ratio when you break it down. On top of which, you know, we, we were blessed to be able to bring roots in and, you know, bring that in for intensive, like, like you know, we're the machine gunners and we bring in the roots as our sniper teams that just, you know, could grab our kids that need that extra love. And it, it's really been a beneficial relationship for both of us uh, as far as roots and Wilkins, because they, you know, because we are small and we are dealing with intense situations and it is a second, second chance school. Like our kids are there to do the work, you know, at, at a typical traditional high school where Marcus would have to walk in and deal with like 2000 kids, figure out who the knuckleheads are there. And now figure out who the knuckleheads who want to hear something are. That's a lot of a drawdown. You come to Wilkins, everybody, pretty much everybody, when you walk through that door is looking to hear some good word and trying to fight and figure out a way to make the life better and to hear what Marcus and his teams are, are bringing to the table. Uh, definitely. Again, Wilkins has a special place in my heart, man. I know when we first created the relationship, man, it was it was a beautiful thing and it was caught fire so quick that the ladies got jealous and wanted us to be able to service them a little more, man. I want to kind of talk about that. Right. I, I heard you mention a lot about Wilkins in general, but I want to get a little bit of insight just in regard to the initial relationship and why it's worthwhile to have young individuals that look like the students you serve, be able to come in and act as positive role models for you? Uh, first and foremost, representation is everything. You know, uh, be, seeing professional 
how to put this. Barack Obama was an electable politician. Al Sharpton isn't. Okay? Kids need to see more Baracks out there. And when they get to see those young men and women, those young professionals come in from FSU who are organized enough to be already academically successful, business-minded enough to get themselves into civic organizations, whether that be the Greek system or working with Roots, they're out there doing that thing. That is a level of professionalism that will transcend a lot of bigotry, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of preconceived notions that will truly help elevate the, the entire African-American community to a, a, a accepted position of power by the still majority size ignorant white population. We, we, we had to talk before uh, you and I about why Obama was the perfect black first black president. And it wasn't that he did a lot. It's the fact that he represented so cleanly. He and Michelle ran a flawless, morally perfect home, scandalous presidency, you know, whatever else. That is what is needed. He was exactly what was needed by white America, more so than by black America, but also by black America to, to show that this is what the standard is because by media standards, you know, like who are the only real super positive um, next level professionals we had? Bill Cosby. That was it. You had Jeff you know, the Jeffersons before that, and that was just, but they were still, you see what I'm saying? Like as a, as a social representation, we need that next level executive being shown there. We don't need uh, our young people being shown athletes. Like it's great we have black athletes. It's great that we have black musicians and all that kind of stuff, but they need to see more than that. Uh, Charles Barkley got in a lot of trouble with, with the community because he, he said that one thing when, when he goes to, to, to black schools, you know, he asks kids, what do they want to do? And the big thing that Charles said, not me, what Charles said was, you know, that, that you know, black kids want to be rappers. They want to be athletes. He's like, but if I go to a white school and ask kids what they want to do, they want to be doctors. They want to be astronauts and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's where he was, he was, he was like, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, I will have that one kid. Like, he's like, when I go to the poor all black kids school, I will get that kid on occasion who is, you know, I want to be a doctor. I want to do this. He's like, but 99% of the kids there want to be athletes or doctors or athletes or, or rappers. We got to find different representation for these kids to see young professionals coming in from right across the street of FSU's campus. You know, I love that we're so close 10 minutes down the road they can see themselves on it. One of the best things on a Roots field trip to FSU, this one young lady, uh, Tandi uh, Farmer, walking through the campus and she and I were just walking there. We were going from one activity to another and she just stopped and it was like a very powerful moment for her where she was like, Mr. Bowen, I never, I could see myself here. He's like, I, she was like, I never thought me in college was ever gonna be a thing, but I, I think I could do this. And, you know, I gave her a big hug and I was like, see, I knew you could be here. You know, you can do this, you know, all the positive stuff that go with it. But for her, it was an epiphany moment, you know, and it was because she was on an, an HBCU where everybody around her was young and doing it. And it was all the nonsense, all the hood rat bullshit was gone. You know, it wasn't chicken necking anything. Everybody was there with a mission, handling their business, still doing it with that FSU style. You know, like it wasn't all corny, like the kids are afraid of being, you know, like, I don't want to be a nerd. I don't want to be a corn dog. No. 
FSU is clean. You know, everybody there has got style. It, it's a fresh campus. Uh, and they saw that. They saw that it wasn't just, you know, all just a bunch of corny white folks running around, you know, singing a cappella and making everybody uncomfortable. I don't know. It, it's just, it just it, it's what they, I think I answered your question. Yeah, no, that's 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 100% accurate, Mr. Bowen. Uh, we often say uh, a child can't be what a child can't see. And if when they turn on the, the radio, all they're seeing is rappers and, and basketball players and football players, oftentimes they are going to gravitate towards that. So I agree, you know, having young brothers like myself, like Marcus, and having, you know, other the Roots, represent, Roots representatives, like it's, it's super important to have that representation. So you talked about Wilkins a lot, uh, but talk a little bit about your transition to Africa and what you did when you got there. Okay. Um... After five years at Wilkins, I needed a little bit of a, a respite. I, I call it my sabbatical year because um, you put so much into those kids and, you know, the streets are the streets and they'll get them while, while you're working with them. But they started stacking up for me, the ones that you think that you got graduated, you got into the program, but they never leave the streets. So it's the ones that you like, yes, we got him through, we got her through. And then they're, incarcerated or dead you know six months later that started stacking up on me and uh, I needed to step away and uh, long story short ended up finding this gig uh, to open an, an American high school in uh, Luanda Angola um, it was a very surreal experience I, on a lot of different levels it helped me refine my why uh, as far as because I was in Angola still answering emails and helping out new teachers back at Wilkins, you know, uh, but while I was in Angola, I was teaching like the most elite spoiled rich kids that you could find like governor's children. Uh, one of my kids' parents owned the three most expensive hotels in Luanda. And Luanda itself is the most expensive city in the world to live in, not because it's opulent, but it's just very corrupt and really it's a it's a tragic kind of kind of city um without going into a bunch of history lesson uh it's a city designed for eight hundred and fifty thousand people that houses 22 million i believe um so there's a lot of shanty towns a lot of it, it's really messed up it's a but it, it's very diverse at the same time like i never had my apartment there was the best apartment i've ever had in my life like all vaulted ceilings granite everywhere but I, like my, my apartment was right on the ocean. I could go out there. But when I went out there and looked over the wall of my guarded community, gated wall, I would have to watch kids and dogs fight over burning food, you know, burning trash for food. And there was, it was, it was really stark and it kind of messed with my head. I'm not going to lie to you. Like it wasn't right for me feeling I just couldn't, yeah, I didn't stay that long. Uh, I, you know, I did my job and stuff, but like I said, it helped me redefine my why. Like my skills, spoiled rich kids don't need a kid from Detroit who's worked his way out and knows how to deal with stuff. My kids at Wilkins did, which is the reason I came back here. You know, I, I could have gone anywhere else, but but I really liked the, the mission of Wilkins specifically and the, the kids that it, it was targeting and, and trying to work with. You know, if, if Wilkins was in South Boston, all those kids would be white. But here in Fayetteville, they're all black. So 
like like I said, I'm all about helping poor people figure out the way out. Um, the, the, the game really is rigged against us. Uh, in my big story, I, I was married to a while uh, for, for a, a period of time. And like most poor boys, I chased a rich girl and, and uh, saw how rich people do stuff and the way they think about stuff. And, and they do, you know, there's poor people thinking, there's rich people thinking, and, and you need to know both in this world. You know, there, there's times when, you know, it, it's like being able to code switch. You know, you, you better be able to code switch because as a teacher, I hate the idea of proper English. Proper English is situational. If, if, you know, if I'm on Six Mile in Detroit, and if I start, you know, speaking like Shakespeare, I'm going to get my ass kicked. But, but at the same time, if I start talking like I'm at Six Mile when I'm sitting in, you know, Oxford University, again, I'll get my ass kicked on their level. You know, it, it's, we have to be able to know the appropriate vocabulary, the, the appropriate patois, if you will, for whatever situation. That's why appropriate language is the better thing rather than proper for me you are, you are very seasoned mr bones and that's one thing i'm extremely fond of you right you've been in a lot of different diverse communities and situations and you've evolved really through all but i, I really feel like everywhere you've been has added an extra layer to you um, i don't think there's an individual that you aren't able to really relate with and again that's one thing that we always harp on with the kids is just the relatability being able to connect and i want to ask you just personally right working with a a, a different race and a, and, a, and a drastic demographic how are you able to really break some of those barriers right the reason i'm asking i actually just met with a with a a school just recently who we're, we're in conversation with partnering with and we talked about doing a lot of teacher training right? Everybody always talks about the kids, but a lot of time it's the teacher isn't sensitive enough or doesn't have the same perspective enough to be able to penetrate the kids. Um, at the end of the day, you signed up for the job, so you need to be able to adjust and adapt. And everybody has a different type of learning uh, structure as well. So I want to ask you, how are you able to really break some of those barriers with those really hard body kids? And again, with some of you we work with, they really are street. They really do have a lot of stories that come with it. How are you able to really get in the door? What advice would you have to some new teachers who may be a little fearful? Um, yeah, first off, teacher training is absolutely necessary. Uh, more appropriately, uh, cultural sensitivity and cultural awareness. Uh, not so much sensitivity, but awareness. Because you might tell somebody you need to be sensitive sensitive of their culture, but you need to back it up with what their culture is. So therefore you can be sensitive as opposed to most people just take, well, it's their culture and they're using it as like, I can't react to that situation versus, you know, finding out the beauty of, or whatever the reasoning is behind it. You know what I mean? There's a difference between cultural sensitivity and, and cultural awareness being you know, understanding why this is done. So it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. It's not a threat or whatever the situation might not assign a disrespect maybe. Um, for me, like you said, like, uh, I, um, your question's kind of loaded, Marcus. Uh, 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 I've had a couple of interracial relationships, I guess is the way to, to start off. So, um, while you joke about inviting me to the, you know, the picnic, you know, I, or the cookout, I've been at the cookout, you know, like I've, I've, I've been asked to cook and not potato salad with raisins in it um, or anything like that. Like I get, I get given the, the Christmas, the, the, the Easter swine to, to, to cook. That was, that was the one that I knew I, I was in there for when grandma gives the white boy, the, 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 
Easter ham to cook, you know, I'm doing okay. Um, so while I might not be black, I've definitely been deep into the, the African-American community uh, through my relationships, you know, through my friendships and through where I choose to live. You know, I, I, I live in the community that I teach in. I think that's important because um, you, you have to know what's going on. You know, you need to know what's, what's happening in neighborhoods and, and kids need to see you at the grocery store. Again, representation matters. You know, if, because sometimes like the hood, like my kids, one of the things I tell my kids, is they're like, I'm proud of being you know, where I come from, I'm proud of being poor. It's like being poor and coming from a shithole is nothing to be proud of. Never be embarrassed about it. But what are you proud of? Like acknowledge it and say, this is where I come from. But that's only stuff to build up from. You shouldn't be a proud, like my parents were alcoholics who were uneducated and didn't show me what was right. No, that's not to be proud of. Never be ashamed of it. But take that and, and acknowledge this is where I came from. This is the bottom where I'm going to come up from. You know what I mean? There's a difference. Too many people get caught up in like, you know, he forgot. You're supposed to want to forget where the fuck you came from if it was shit. You know what I mean? The idea isn't to hold on to the nightmare. You want to you want to step up and into a better day. You don't want to like keep living that same groundhog day day. In any case, I'm rambling. Sorry. Nah, it's, it's all good, Mr. Bowen. It's, it's, it's everything you're saying is super valuable. And I think because you come from similar backgrounds as a lot of the youth, it's very easy for you to connect and resonate with their, their situation and um, their circumstance. And I think that a lot of times when uh, people typically don't look like the, the kids that they serve, a lot of times the kids think that, you know, a person doesn't understand them. Um, because sometimes when I mentor some of the Latino students and some of the other students that I work with a lot of times they'll tell us like, well, you don't really understand what it's like to go through X, Y, and Z. And I had to move out of the house and I have a social awkwardness because of this. And when I actually sit down and break it down, like, don't be so don't like, don't get it twisted. The person you see today and the person that I was a couple of years ago are two different people. And I love how you said that you're supposed to forget where you come from, because if, it, if you came from nothing, why are you bragging about coming from nothing? It's what you're doing today. So I think that was super spot on. And again, like, Thank you so much for the work that you're doing with all of the kids that you work with, because they need more people like you in their lives that are relative to their situation, but also um, in, a, in a space to, to really lead them towards enlightenment, um, for lack of a better term. Definitely. You know, that's my pleasure. And just as much as I'm helping them, they really do help me because uh, in order, I connect with these kids on a lot of levels I guess what I want to say is for guys like you and me who come from someplace, you know, or who have seen some stuff at a young age, this kind of work is fantastic for us because it allows us to really heal ourselves and, and take that healing process for our own journey and, and show others like a, a lighted path of sorts. Um, that being said, I wouldn't be able to survive in a regular corporate American job. I'd probably be the angry white man who's ready to knock people out because, you know, I have to have a bigger purpose than chasing dollars. And I figured that about myself, luckily, at, at a younger age. But, you know, we need this kind of work. So just as much as, as they need us, we need them. No, it, I, it's I, a good way of taking, like, toxic traits and making them positive. I like how you said that. No, no, I definitely couldn't agree more. I remember, like... The first time we actually connected at Wilkins, man, uh, I walked in with a Ferragamo belt and I had a suit on. And I remember half the kids were like, yo, are you the new principal? I'm like, yo, I'm three years older than you, bro. And again, 
that goes back to just being relatable, but actually being another tangible example. And one thing that I, I pride myself on, and honestly, I really, I, I, I attribute something to you. I'll definitely give you your flowers, man, is being able to bring a couple of different components together and again, be that tangible example for them. So again, you're talking about your Detroit, you're talking about the Africa situation, right? Your Marine perspective, you're able to really, really connect and relate to them and show them different sides when needed to be able to see more than what they see on a consistent basis. And again, man, got to give you your flowers, bro. Cause you've been, you've been in the field, you've been in the trenches for a while, bro. And again, to your point, I'm glad you hit on it briefly. We talked about how you really just need to be able to decompress. Man, a lot of times in the work that we do and the things that we see and the and the, and the tears and, and the blood, sweat and everything else that comes with it, we invest in these kids. When we have those specific situations, if it's a death, if it's imprisonment, if it's anything of that nature, we definitely need to be able to de decompress and, and disconnect for a little bit, man. So I'm glad you hit on that. I don't think a lot of people in this specific realm talk about that so much. So I appreciate you just being vulnerable and being an example for us, man. But uh, Mr. Bones, if people are trying to tap in with you a little bit, man, like where could they find you? What words would you kind of close us out with? Um, what words would I, what would I close you out with? Help your brothers. Just do the right thing and, and realize that we are our brother's keepers and we do owe something like America's not perfect, but it is still the best country. It's crazy. Not a, it's still the best country in the world. And that's saying a lot because there's really no really good countries in the world. Not, not, not to the, the world that we all hope it to be, but we all have to choose to be that change. You know, we all have to take our time like you two gentlemen are right now. You know, the three of us sitting down, taking the time to make this podcast to talk about this kind of stuff is what everybody needs to do. Um, we, we owe it to each other. We owe it to the society that we grew up in. We owe it to the opportunities that we have. It's not a perfect world, but it won't get any better if, if not one of us is out here trying. So never give up, never surrender. I don't know. <laughs> hey, be, be the change you want to see is what, what I got from that, man. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you got to one of my best things I ever loved about uh, my, my philosophy, be an agent of change. Like that, that is the best thing. If somebody asks you, what are you? I'm an agent of change. Cause that way it crosses all, I can be an agent of change, being nice to somebody, you know, find their dog. I can be an agent of change lending you 40 bucks. I can be an agent of change as a teacher, but as long as, as long as I'm being the agent of change, that means I'm affecting life. Life isn't just happening to me. Mm, boy, you said that right there. Man, we're we're going to kind of close out with that, man. But again, squad, how are you being an agent of change? How are you helping your situation? How are you helping other situations around you? How are you elevating your community, right? And at the end of the day, the goal is let's grow together. So what are you doing to extend a hand to help the next one grow, man? But again, family, as always, thank you for tapping in. Again, it's Mastermind Marcus and uh, James Turner. Please be sure to tap in next week, man. We're going to have some more great content for you. But again, thank you, Mr. Bone. We appreciate you sincerely. And again, family, we are Let's Grow Together. Y'all be blessed.